أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي أما بعد my brothers and sisters in Islam السلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته سبحان الله يعني it's been uh, a crazy year uh, so far uh, where we have witnessed many major events take place in a very short period of time if we look around the world uh, trial after trial uh, as soon as one would end another one would start and يعني, we know that these are the signs of the hour I mean just in this country alone we have uh, this year the bushfires um, immediately followed by floods Amazing, two extremes. Um, in other countries, we thought we saw earthquakes and, and other calamities uh, before the human uh, race, and then we were hit with this uh, lockdown uh, due to the coronavirus worldwide, this pandemic, and now we see these riots taking place uh, over the issue of racism and uh, discrimination. And we know it started in America, and then um, it went across to other countries including Australia and in uh, Britain, in London and so that is the hot topic at the moment uh, that everyone is discussing uh, but let me say this any discussion around this topic that does not talk about the establishment of a completely new system of governance for mankind is a futile discussion and we can go through uh, all of the reactions that we are seeing, we can talk about them one by one and all of them يعني, are, as I mentioned, reactions they are natural reactions of the people but again, these are not going to solve the problem as long as the discussion of implementing a new way of life a new governing system for the entirety of mankind unless we, let, we leave this discussion off the table we are not going to solve a single thing and as uh, Muslims, we know that the only system uh, that can deal with these issues and eradicate racism and discrimination is Islam. It was successful in the past and inshallah ta'ala it will be successful again in the future when we are able to implement it uh, properly. My brothers and sisters in Islam, racism and discrimination has been taking place since the beginning of man since the beginning of time and we know that the the one who introduced who invented who started this issue of racism and discrimination was iblis himself was iblis himself we know that when allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created adam he asked all of the angels uh, and the jinn to bow down to adam and we know the response of iblis he had pride and arrogance and he refused, he rejected. And he said, why should I bow down to him? I'm better than him. This is the idea, the concept. This is racism. It is the idea that I am more superior to him. Why should I bow down to him? You created me from fire and you created him from mud, from dirt. I'm better than him. I'm stronger than him. So... Iblis was the one who began this idea of racism and from there 
uh, he was able to do a good job with the rest of mankind in uh, putting this idea in people's minds that you are more superior to them. And we have seen its devastating effect uh, across the globe uh, and how uh, many uh, minorities have been subjugated and enslaved uh, by another group of people. And uh, as I mentioned, my brothers and sisters, the only system of life that was able to eradicate racism altogether from its society was Islam. Uh, and this is something that we should be proud about and we should propagate. And we shouldn't hide this fact and just jump on the bandwagon of the hashtag groups and, uh, you know, talking about uh, Black Lives Matter and all these things. Rather, we should be coming from the angle of Islam and discussing it from an ideological uh, perspective. For when Iman enters the hearts, my brothers, when Iman enters the hearts, it transcends all things. Whether you are white, black, Arab, non-Arab, male, female, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're strong or weak, faith is what unites us as one. And this is the message we need to send uh, to the rest of mankind. And these were the words of the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa We know that this is what he said in his sermon, that there is no superiority uh, of one over another. There is no superiority of white over black or of an Arab over a non-Arab. The only thing that matters in the eyes of Allah is your taqwa. And where is the taqwa when he was asked? He said, At-taqwa ha-huna. The taqwa is in the heart. So nobody can even see that. So when we say that the one who is of the highest status is the one with the taqwa, no one can even see this. This is only in the eyes of Allah. In On earth, everyone is equal in the sight of Allah uh, when it comes to uh, the issue of belief. When you believe in Islam, Everyone, my brothers and sisters, is equal. No one is better than another. No one is higher than another. And with the non-Muslims as well, we do not look down upon them. We try to help them. We try to save them. We want the best for them. We do not degrade them and put them down. We call them to the message of Islam. And this was the example of our messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And with the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and the Muslims at the time of the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you know, they were living in a tribal society and they had racism and discrimination uh, in their uh, societies. And it was very rampant. And we know that, you know, the, depending on what tribe you came from, it depended on, it, it mattered where you, you sat, your status in society, depending on which tribe you were from. And so when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala started to send down the Quran to the Prophet with one verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was able to eradicate uh, racism and discrimination from the hearts of the believers. One verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, He said, O people, he is addressing all of mankind here, not only who believe. He said, Ya nas. O people, verily we have created you from a single man and a single woman, from a single male and a single female, from one father and from one mother. Just with this part of the ayah alone was enough to eradicate racism. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that all of you come from one single man and one single woman, one father and one mother. So how can any of you be better than anyone else? You have the same father and the same mother. Basically, you're all brothers and sisters. So how can anyone be better than anyone else? How can anyone look down upon anyone else? 
when you have the same parents. And he continues, and we made you into nations and tribes so that you may come to know one another. And subhanAllah, yani, from one man, from one woman, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yani, he created all of these different cultures, colors, languages. That in itself is a miracle, something to marvel over. From one man and one woman, we have different peoples and different cultures and different languages and different colors. Something to marvel over and not to take advantage of. Subhanallah. And then he ends the ayah by saying, And the best of you, in the sight of Allah, again, as I mentioned, is your taqwa. My brothers and sisters in Islam, the Messenger of Allah was a shining example uh, all of his life. And we know this. His sunnah shows us how he loved everyone the same, no matter what the color of their skin was. And anyone who seemed to be doing it tough uh, to fit into the society, he would draw nearer to them. He would draw them close. Anyone who was struggling, anyone who used to be looked down upon in the days of Jahiliyyah, maybe because they didn't come from a noble tribe. Some of the companions didn't even have any family. Many of the companions migrated from different countries. He had many African uh, uh, companions, many dark-skinned companions, yet when he would see them struggling to fit in, to find their place, he would bring them close to himself. And when the companions would see these actions of the messenger, uh, they would also uh, do the same. They would replicate whatever the Prophet ﷺ did. And when we read these stories, and I will go through some of the stories of the companions, uh, especially those lesser-known companions, those who struggled to fit in, and we'll see how the messenger uh, brought them in and integrated them into the society. Uh, when we read these stories, they are not just fairy tales. They are not just bedtime stories we read to the children. We need to understand that uh, the Prophet ﷺ, everything that he would do, he was not only doing that as a prophet of Allah, but he was also doing that as a leader of a government, as a, as a head of state. And so his actions became legislation. His actions uh, became the law. And this is the main point we want to take away from today. That these nice stories that we are talking about, again, they're not, we don't tell them just for the sake of telling stories. These became law, constitution in the state. And so everyone had to follow those actions. And so, uh, inshallah, I will go through some of these stories of the companions. Uh, who used to suffer from racism and discrimination in the days of in the time of Jahiliyyah, and the Prophet ﷺ, uh, shows us how to treat these type of people if we were to face similar circumstances and situations, and we do, we do. Uh, you know, people say we are living in the 21st century. This doesn't matter, my brothers and sisters. Uh, people are still living in a in a backward mentality, and we have seen this around the world. You know, they talk about their civilization, how great their civilization are. The West talk about their civilization. And when they talk about their civilization, what are they referring to? Their technology? Their scientific advancement? What about the way they treat people? What about their civilization when it comes to their morals, their values? Nobody can compare to the system that the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam left us with. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala described him, the Messenger, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ Verily, you are of the highest character, of an amazingly high character. And so, that is the law, the constitution that we want to implement today in our life. Uh, and, 
Inshallah, I will start by saying that one of these companions that I will not be talking about tonight is Bilal ibn Rabah. You know, uh, because of all of these uh, incidences that are taking place now with the uh, race riots, Everyone wants to speak about Bilal. And you know, Bilal has an amazing story. And if we wanted to talk about him, we need maybe two or three sessions to dedicate to the amazing life of Bilal. So we will not talk about him uh, uh, tonight. Rather, we will talk about some of the lesser known companions. And inshallah, the first of them that I will speak about was a female. And her name was Barakah. And she was from Ethiopia. And she was a servant of Abdullah, the father of the Messenger, sallallahu and Abdullah used to treat her very well, you know. Uh, he used to treat her like his own daughter. And she was very close with Amina, the mother of the Prophet ﷺ. They became very good friends. So not only was she a servant of theirs, but she was like a daughter as well. And she would help Amina in everything that Amina needed. And uh, subhanAllah, uh, when Amina went into labor, when Abdullah had already passed away, uh, when Amina was pregnant with uh, Muhammad and so Amina was by herself and she was in labor with Muhammad and the only one there to help her in delivering Muhammad was this woman Barakah and she was a very young woman at that, at that time and so she was the midwife that helped to deliver Muhammad and so Barakah was the first woman not only to lay eyes on the messenger but to hold the the blessed uh, uh, Muhammad in her, in her arms. She was the first one to hold the messenger in her arms. This woman who everyone else would look down upon and يعني, refer to her as a slave, a black slave. And yet she has this honor of being the first person to touch Rasulullah And she was the one who delivered the news to Amina. She said, oh Amina, it is a boy. And wallahi, he is more beautiful than the moon. Allahu Akbar. You know, we heard this description of the messenger many times in the seerah. She was the first one who was able to say this. That his face is as beautiful as the moon. And we know that when Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa was six, his mother Amina uh, was sick and she was passing away. And when she was passing away, she called for Barakah and she said to her, Oh Barakah, I am dying and so I am entrusting Muhammad to you. So be to him as a mother, just as I was and better. For there is no one else that I trust for this role except for you. Subhanallah. So she was entrusting Muhammad to this woman. And so we know in the seerah, at the age of six, when she passed away, when Amina passed away, he went to Abdul Muttalib, his grandfather. And then at the age of uh, eight, when Abdul Muttalib passed away, his grandfather, he went to his uncle Abu Talib. And he stayed with Abu Talib until he, he got married to Khadija. But what we don't read in the seerah is that these men weren't raising children. These men were busy uh, uh, trying to make a living for their household. They were out doing business, uh, looking after the affairs of the people because Abdul Muttalib was the leader and then Abu Talib took over the role. So who was raising Muhammad? It was Barakah. She was the one who became like the mother of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And when uh, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam went to officially meet Khadija for marriage, he took with him Barakah. His mother, you know, when you go to ask for a woman's hand, you take your mother, you take your parents. So he took uh, Barakah 
and he introduced her to Khadija and he said, this is Barakah, she is my mother after my mother. Subhanallah, look at the status he gave her. And all of his life, she outlived Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. For the whole, for the whole of his life, she was with the messenger in his household. And she was like a mother to him and everyone could see this. And what did I say about the actions of the messenger? They are law, constitution. So when the Prophet ﷺ honors somebody, everybody else honors them as well. When Muhammad ﷺ received the message of Islam, we know that the first person to embrace Islam was Khadija, a woman. The, the next woman to embrace Islam was Barakah. When the Prophet ﷺ gave her the message of Islam, she immediately accepted Islam because she knew she raised. This is her, yani her son. So she raised him. She knows Muhammad sallallahu She accepted Islam immediately. Eventually, the Prophet sallallahu he marries Barakah to one of the companions uh, from the Ansar. And they had a son and they named him Ayman. So now her name became Umm Ayman. So maybe we've heard of this name. Uh, Barakah wasn't really the popular name that they referred to her as. They referred to her as Umm Ayman. And so uh, when Ayman reached the age of, age of two, his father passed away in one of the battles. And so now she became widowed and she moved back in with the Messenger وسلم, and the Messenger was looking after her as any son would do with their widowed mother. And he was raising Ayman in his household with all of the other young companions that he had with him. You know, he had with him Anas ibn Malik, he had with him uh, Zayd bin Harith, he had with him Ali ibn Abi Talib, now he has with him Ayman. And uh, Ayman was an amazing uh, companion uh, as well. And he would go out uh, on many of the expeditions uh, with the Messenger وسلم, and we'll get to him inshallah But also, Umm Ayman would attend all of the battles with the Messenger. The, uh, Umm Ayman would also attend with the battles. And in fact, uh, in the Battle of Uhud, in the Battle of Uhud, when things turned against the Muslims, we know that the Muslims were winning. And then some of the Muslims came down from the mountain. And we know what happened. Khalid bin Walid came around. And things started to turn against the Muslims. And many of the Muslims, yani out of panic, began to run away. And uh, the messenger was left in the middle of the battlefield with only a handful of companions. And, you know, the kuffar started to close in on him. Um Ayman, she, when she saw this, she picked up her sword and she ran into the battlefield with some of the other women to defend her son, the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And in the process of defending him, she was struck by an arrow and she was injured. Uh, subhanallah. So, when the, the Battle of Hunayn took place, Ayman by now was uh, an, older, uh, an older child. He was a young man now. And so, he attended the Battle of Hunayn. And again, we know that when the Battle of Hunayn first took place, the Kuffar, the, the people of Hawazin, they done a surprise attack. Because the Muslims were large in number, so they thought that if we have any chance against the Muslims, we have to do a surprise attack. So when they attacked, uh, again, panic and confusion uh, went crazy throughout the ranks of the Muslims, and many of the Muslims ran away. Many of the Muslims ran away from the battlefield. And we know that the Messenger ﷺ kept marching forward by himself. By himself. 
and the people, the, the Muslims are running past him. They said that only a small handful of people stayed with the Messenger wasallam. Some narrations even mention it was only eight people. Eight people around the Messenger. And one of them was Ayman, the son of Barakah, the son of Um Ayman. Why? He was raised in the house of Muhammad wasallam. It was like a son to him. And anyone who is raised by Muhammad wasallam has these amazing, brave uh, qualities, these leadership qualities. So Ayman stood his ground and subhanAllah, he was uh, martyred in this battle. He attained shahada. So we can see now Um Ayman, her role in the society and Ayman himself. And when the Prophet would give them so much attention and you know the Prophet was the one who performed the janazah himself on Ayman. You know the companions would see this. There is no more room in the hearts to look down upon these type of people. You know because of the color of their skin. When the Prophet is treating them with such honor. So this is how the Prophet without words, with action, he was able to eradicate these ideas and these concepts that people had in their minds and in their hearts. Uh, going back to Um Ayman, uh, one day the Prophet he came out to the companions and he said, Who of you, now listen to these words, again, to all of the companions, he came out and he said, who of you wants to marry a woman of Jannah? And you know, the companions were you know, very excited. And uh, one of them that was wanted to come forward was uh, Zayd bin Harith, his adopted son. He said, I will, Ya, ya Rasulullah. He said, then you will marry Um Ayman, a woman of Jannah. And he guaranteed her place in Jannah while she was alive. And she married uh, Zayd bin Harith, who was very young. And... and uh, Umm Ayman was a, an older woman at this age, uh, at this stage. And so, uh, for him to marry her, it was purely, purely for the fact that the messenger said, this is a woman of Jannah. And so, uh, Zayd had the, the hope uh, that, uh, inshallah ta'ala, my wife in Jannah uh, will be Umm Ayman, who is guaranteed her spot. So, if she is guaranteed, then inshallah ta'ala, my place will be with her. And so he married her, and they had a son, and this was a famous companion we all know, who goes by the name of Usama bin Zayd. And inshallah ta'ala, he will be the next companion that I will speak about. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, we all know that he loved Usama bin Zayd very much. It was described, uh, 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 yani the companions, whenever they would see Usama bin Zayd, they would say, uh, this is the beloved, the son of the beloved. Why? Because he is the son of Zayd bin Harith, who was also raised and adopted by the Messenger wasallam. So they would refer to Usama bin Zayd as the beloved, the beloved one of the Messenger wasallam. Usama, he took all of the qualities from his mother. So he was a very, very dark. He was a, a very dark uh, boy. Uh, and... Because the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam raised Zayd bin Harith in his own house, uh, Zayd, uh, Usama bin Zayd was now also being raised in his house. So now another child has been added to the responsibility of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and uh, he is raising Usama bin Zayd. Uh, Usama was born around the same time as Al Hassan, the grandson. Of the Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So they grew up together. Usama bin Zayd 
and Al-Hasan, the son of Ali, they grew up together. And the Prophet ﷺ, wherever he would go, he, they, they would say that he would have both of them in his arm. He would always have Al-Hasan and Usama bin Zayd. Ain other companions would marvel because uh, Al-Hasan was described as being very white and Usama bin Zayd was described as being black. And the Prophet ﷺ was proudly walking around with his two grandchildren uh, in the society. Again, another action to uh, soften the hearts of those who may have had some sort of uh, uh, يعني, looking down upon those type of people. The Prophet ﷺ would show them, if you respect me, if you honor me, then you would honor everyone that I honor. Uh, so he would take them everywhere and he would always sit them on his lap. And they would play, uh, when he was giving sermons, they would play between his legs, they would go under his legs. And when he would pray, they would crawl onto his back. And the companions would say, we would always see the messenger kissing them. Always kissing Al-Hasan and kissing Usama bin Zayn. As يعني, all of our grandfathers, all of our fathers do to our children. They're always playing and joking and kissing the grandchildren. <coughs> uh, and the Prophet he would actually say in front of the companions, he would say, he would look to the sky and he would say, Oh Allah, I love them so much. I love them both so much. Oh Allah, love them as well. Subhanallah. An amazing dua to make. Uh, in fact, just to, just to show how much Prophet ﷺ loved Osama all of his life, all of his life, uh, during Fatah Mecca, which we, didn't, we spoke about that uh, not long ago, during Fatah Mecca, a prominent woman from the tribe of Makhzum, Banu Makhzum, she was caught stealing. And, uh, you know, the, 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 there was witnesses, and so they caught her and they brought her forward. And because she was a prominent woman, a woman of status uh, among the Arabs, they wanted to have someone intercede to the Messenger وسلم, in order to see, let's be light on her. We don't want to يعني, upset that tribe. She is a woman of prominence. She has status. Uh, maybe we can have the messenger forgive her. Rather than applying the had. They said, who can we ask to intercede on our behalf? Who is the one who the Prophet is closest to? Whose heart will soften to? All of the companions said, there is nobody except Usama bin Zayd that can have this effect on the messenger. Nobody except Usama bin Zayd will have that effect on the messenger's heart. So they came to Usama said, can you intercede for us, for our mother, this uh, woman from Banu Makhzum? So he went and he asked and the messenger became upset. That are you asking me? Are you interceding with me? Uh, when it comes to a matter of hudud, the punishment of Allah, the rules of Allah, the law of Allah. And subhanAllah, just a side note. Uh, when they came to the messenger to intercede for this woman, the messenger became angry and he explained to the people that uh, the people that, that in the days of ignorance, they would allow the rich and the, and the, and the, uh, the, the leaders and the prominent people, they would allow them to get away with crimes. And the weak and the, 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 the less fortunate they would face the full force of the law. And so the Prophet ﷺ is teaching them that these, day, these laws and these uh, uh, cultures that you have where the rich can get away and the, 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 the strong can get away with committing crimes and the weak have to face the full force of the law, those days are over. 
And the Prophet ﷺ made his famous statement when he said, Wallahi, if the daughter of Muhammad ﷺ was caught stealing, I would cut off her hand. Again, when we talk about discrimination and how yani, we have seen examples of how uh, uh, in America, for example, white people would commit crimes, they wouldn't have the same outcome in the courts as the black people. In fact, yani, we have seen how some of the white police officers have been dealt with when they have killed uh, uh, black citizens. And we have seen how black police officers have been dealt with when they have accidentally killed someone. Difference in the way they apply the law. Prophet is saying here, those days of Jahiliya are over. And this was 1500 years ago, my brothers. And sisters, 1500 years ago, the Prophet is teaching the companions there is no difference, and he applied the had on this woman. This is the law of Islam where everyone is equal under the law Muslim and non Muslim, white or black, whether you're from an elite tribe or you have no tribe at all. Towards the end of the life of the Messenger, وسلم, we know that he pre prepared a huge army. To go and face off with the Romans. To take the message of Islam to the Romans. And in this army, it held the senior of the companions. The likes of Abu Bakr and Umar. And so many of the senior companions. And who did he appoint as the leader of this army? Usama bin Zayd. <coughs> and Usama bin Zayd, how old was he when he was appointed? He was only 18 years old. 18 years old. Appointed as the leader of an army. That consisted of the senior of the companions. And some of the most noble of men when it came to their tribes and their lineages. And, you know, we know that some of the companions weren't happy about this. And they started to complain. And um, some words were said. And those words got back to the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the Messenger, he came and he addressed the army. He addressed the people. And he said, I have been informed about what some of you are saying about Usama. Let it be known that the same things were said about his father. Yet he was more than qualified for the task, just as Usama is. And he is the most beloved of all people to me. Again, indoctrinating in the minds that it doesn't matter about the color of your skin. Nor does it matter about the age. For us, anyone who is uh, capable of a task, we respect that person, and if the Prophet or anyone has been appointed over us, we listen and we obey. This is how we are as Muslims. We respect everyone and we give everyone uh, a chance to uh, prove themselves without judgment. We do not judge people. Uh, Inshallah Ta'ala, I'll move on to another companion. And this companion, SubhanAllah, we, not, we don't know much about him at all. We don't know what tribe he's from. We don't even know if he has a tribe. We don't know the name of his parents. We don't even know his full name. All we know is that he goes by the name of Zahir. He goes by the name of Zahir. And how was Zahir described? He was a dark-skinned man. And he was described... Now imagine being known for this one quality. What was that quality? He was repulsive in his appearance. That's how they used to describe him. He was... They used to say about him, very ugly. Some reports say that he had a deformity that made his appearance uh, very unattractive. And so, 
people didn't really give him the time of day. And so this man, he went and he lived as a Bedouin in the desert. Yeah, away from people. He didn't want to be around people because whenever he would come to the city, people would look at him funny and stare at him. And the kids would make fun of him because of his appearance. And because of that, this man had very low self-esteem and would always look down upon himself. Zahid, subhanAllah. But the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa being the leader of all people, he would notice everyone. You know, when you meet someone important, you enter into a room and there's an important person there in many, uh, many uh, cases, they don't notice anyone around them. They're too important. They're too important to notice who's behind the camera. Who, who, are, who are the ones that are running around and doing those small little tasks? They're only interested in talking to the camera or talking to the elite people. They're not interested in uh, all of these smaller people. In their eyes, these smaller people. The Prophet ﷺ was not like this. He paid attention to everyone and he befriended everyone. And he would invite people to come and speak to him and he would always ask about them. You know, subhanAllah, uh, just if you have someone that you know, someone that may be doing it tough, just asking about them. You know, maybe they're poor, maybe they're doing it tough. And wallahi, sometimes they don't need money. They just need someone to check in on them, just to ask about them. The messenger would always ask about Zahir. He would always ask about those companions that were downtrodden. And he would say to the companions, Zahir is our desert and we are his city. Meaning, Zahir is our man when it comes to the desert. He's the, yani when we need something from the desert, Zahir is our man. And when Zahir needs something from the city, we are his servants. Look at this statement of the Messenger Zahir from time to time would come into Medina, into the city. And he would, uh, yani he was a very poor man. He used to collect things from the desert. And he used to bring them. And he used to make things with his hands. And he used to sell them. SubhanAllah, anyone who's been to Mecca and Medina, you know, sometimes you'll see people on the street and they'd have a little mat on the floor and they'd be selling some things, some rings, um, some miswaks, and some beads, rosary beads, uh, the, the, the masabha. And so he was like this. He used to come into the city from time to time, maybe once a month, and he would sell some of his items that he would make with his own hands. And subhanAllah, every time he would come, he would bring a gift for the messenger, even though he was poor. And what were his gifts? Yani, Many people that would come visit the messenger, they would bring him lavish, lavish gifts, very expensive gifts, beautiful material, beautiful garments. Zahir was a very simple man. He didn't have this, this type of money to try to buy. So he would make gifts with his own hands for the messenger. And sometimes he would make him cheese from his goat. He used to have a goat. So he used to milk the goat and make cheese for the messenger and wrap it up and say, Ya Rasulullah, I have brought you a gift. And the messenger's face would light up. And the messenger would say, oh, this is my favorite. He would make him feel special about that gift. And one day, the messenger saw Zahir in the marketplace. Now, I need you to imagine this scene. The marketplace of Medina is busy. People everywhere. People everywhere. Selling and buying and things are loud and it's chaotic. You know, the only example I can think of here in this country is when you go to, say, Flemington Markets. And you see it's loud and people are yelling out to attract you to their, to their table, to their stall. And so, how are you supposed to notice every single person? The messenger, he noticed Zahir. And he snuck up behind him. And he grabbed Zahir from behind and he started wrestling with him. And he was saying, Man yashtari al abd? Man yashtari al abd? He was having a joke with Zahir. He was saying, who will buy this slave from me? Who will buy this man from me? Subhanallah. Zahir, he looks down. 
and he sees the blessed hands of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So he just freezes. He doesn't move. Why? He wants to stay in the embrace of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He doesn't want the Messenger to let him go. And the Messenger is hugging him and he's wrestling with him and Zahid is just He's just enjoying the moment of the messenger embracing him. And the companions are watching. And now I want you to think about what the companions are thinking. They are thinking, oh, I wish we were Zahir. The one who they would all say in the days of Jahiliyyah, we're happy that we are not like Zahir. We're, we're glad that we would never want to be like him. Now, when they see the messenger doing this, well, I wish I was Zahir. I wish I was in his position. SubhanAllah. Look how the messenger elevated people. And so, Zahir, he says something very sad. He looks down while the messenger is holding him from behind. And he says, Ya Rasulullah, and who would pay for me anyway? Who's going to pay for me anyway? I'm worthless. The messenger, he turns him around and he holds him by the shoulders. And he says, Oh Zahir, but with Allah, you are valuable. With Allah, you are priceless. And Zahir was very happy to hear those words. And you need to remember again, the messenger never, never walked around by himself. He had companions with him. He would have Abu Bakr and Umar with him. He would have scribes with him that would be writing down his ahadith. This is how we know of this hadith because people would come and follow the messenger wherever he went. And now they are listening to him saying that you, uh, you think yourself as being low because of your dark skin, because of your ugly appearance. But with Allah, you are priceless. SubhanAllah, this is the story of Zahir. This is the only narration we have about him. Another companion, again, we don't know much about him. We don't know, uh, uh, he doesn't know, this man himself doesn't know what tribe he's from. He didn't know his parents. He was orphaned at a very young age. And SubhanAllah, his description, again, in the days of Jahiliyyah, was Qasir, wa Thaqir, wa Damim, wa Aswad. Allahu Akbar. His description was he was short, he was poor, he was black, and he was ugly. This, this is how people described him. So when someone would ask about this companion, they would say, oh, are you talking about the ugly one? Are you talking about the black one? Are you talking about the, uh, 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 the one who of, of low status? The one with no lineage? And this companion goes by the name of Julaybib. Julaybib. And again, the messenger used to love him very much. Again, some of the narrations mentioned that he was short uh, and damim, his appearance was repulsive because of a deformity. And they say that he used to be uh, that short, he was like a dwarf, like very, very short. And subhanAllah, uh, the Prophet would always ask about him. And one day, uh, he came to the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa very upset. And he said, Ya Rasulullah, do you think that I will be able to enter into Jannah? And the Prophet said, Why, of course you can. Of course you can. Your reward is equal to everyone else. He said, And do you think if I enter into Jannah that I will be able to get married, Ya Rasulullah? He said, Yes, of course you will. You will be married in Jannah with uh, beautiful women, inshaAllah ta'ala. And he said, Then why in this dunya I am not able to get married. None of your companions will allow me to marry their daughters. Every time I ask, they reject me, Ya Rasulullah. He said, are they doing this? He said, yes, they are doing this. He said, go to this companion of mine. And this companion was of a noble lineage. And tell him I have sent you as a request from Rasulullah. 
and that you are asking for his daughter's hand in marriage. And his daughter was known in Medina as being one of the most beautiful women of Medina. Subhanallah, yani the messenger didn't want him to marry just anyone. He wanted him to marry the best. So he sent him to this family. When he gets there, he knocks on the door and they open the door. Welcome, oh Julaibib. How can we help you? Julaibib, he says, the messenger has sent me to request your daughter's hand in marriage. And the, the father, he said, Alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar, how happy. You know, of course we will give our daughter's hand in marriage to the messenger. This is a, a, a karam, this is an honor for us to marry our daughter to the messenger. Tell him we accept his proposal. And Julaibib now is a bit embarrassed. He says, uh, he is not asking for himself. He said, then who is he asking for? He said, he is asking for your daughter's hand in marriage for me. He said, you? He said, yes. And you know, this man, he felt sorry for Julaibib. He didn't want to break his heart. So he didn't want to say no to him himself. He said, let me just speak to her mother. Let me consult with her mother. So he goes into the house and he says to the, his wife that uh, Julaibib is here and he has been sent as a request from Rasulullah to ask for your daughter's hand in marriage. And she said the same thing. For the Messenger of Allah, of course we will accept. This is our honor to give our daughter to the Messenger. Tell him we accept his proposal. And he said he is not asking for himself, but he is asking for Julaibib. And she said, Julaibib? Julaibib? And she started screaming. And she was getting loud. I will never marry my daughter to Julaibib. He couldn't have sent anyone else. He couldn't have sent Abu Bakr, Omar. He had to send Julaibib. We have had much better offers than him and we turned them down. I will never marry my daughter to Julaibib. And do you think they lived in big mansion houses? Julaibib was just at the door and he could hear everything. Can you imagine what he was feeling? Can you imagine when he was hearing those words, how he felt? Julaibib didn't wait for the man to come back. He walked away and he was crying and he was upset. And he went back to the messenger and he said, Ya Rasulullah, they uh, refused my uh, proposal. And he said, did they really do that, O Julaibib? He said, yes. He said, khair inshallah. Who heard this commotion going on in the house? The daughter. The daughter heard the mother screaming. So she came and she said, oh my mother, what's the commotion about? She said, the messenger... Uh, has requested your hand in marriage for Julaibib and I will ma never marry you to Julaibib. She said, Allahu Akbar, are you refusing the request of Rasulullah? Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, look at this, look at this response, Allahu Akbar. She said, what kind of a people would we become if we start to turn down the requests of Rasulullah? Tell him, O oh Father, go back and tell him that I will accept his marriage. For Rasulullah would never request a thing that will be harmful. The Prophet would never let me down. Tell him that we accept his proposal. So this man goes and he rushes to the messenger. Look at the, how the youth of Islam are now becoming the example for their parents at the time of the messenger and today as well. And so the man, he comes to the messenger and the messenger, he looks and he frowns. And he says, are you the man who refused my request? For Julaibib, he said, Ya Rasulullah, astaghfirli. Ask Allah to forgive me, Ya Rasulullah. We accept. We accept, Ya Rasulullah. And Julaibib was there. And he was very happy to hear this. And they set a mahar. The Prophet ﷺ set a mahar. And he set a very high mahar. Why? Because this is a man of nobility. So he wanted to give him this honor 
of putting a, a reasonable price for his daughter. In fact, the mahr that he set was much more than his own daughter Fatima. And so Julaibib is looking because he's a poor man. And he says to Julaibib, Yallah, go and get the mahr. The Prophet, he says to the Prophet, I don't have this kind of money. Yani the money, that the, 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 the number that you set, I haven't even seen this type of mahr. So the Prophet, he just looks to the companions, subhanAllah. He just looks to the companions. There was Ali, there was Uthman, Abu Bakr, uh, Abdurrahman ibn Awf. He just looks. Immediately they stood up. Immediately they stood up. Look at this. Look at this obedience of these men to the Messenger Sallallahu He didn't even have to speak a word. They rushed home and they grabbed some money and they collected the mahar and they gave him extra. They gave him extra, subhanAllah. And the Prophet performed the marriage ceremony for them. A short while later, the call for jihad was made and Julaibib is a newlywed. Some even say that the call of jihad was made on the night of his wedding. Some, some reports mention this. That on the night of his wedding, the call of jihad was made. And you know, he's married this. He, couldn't, he can't believe his fortune with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's being married <coughs> to this beautiful woman from Medina. Yet, he looks up to the sky and he says, Ya Allah, you have called for me and I will come. I will respond. And he left and he joined the army <coughs> with the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And they went out to this battle. And after the battle took place, it was a custom of the Messenger وسلم, to collect all of the Sahaba together and he would ask them, Are you missing anyone from your family, from your tribes? Have you, are you missing anyone? One of them would say, Yes, I am missing my cousin. Go and find him. They would go and find him injured on the battlefield. They would collect him. Are you missing anyone? Yes, we are missing so and so. Go and get them. Go and get them. Go and get them. Until at the end he said, they said, there is no one left, Ya Rasulullah, we're all here now. He says, but I am missing someone. They all looked at each other. He said, I am missing Julaibib. Julaibib was missing. And so the Prophet ﷺ went himself into the, the battlefield where the battle took place. And now all of the companions are following him to say, how? How is he missing? It's not from his tribe, it's not from his family. He said, I am missing someone from my family. I am missing Julaibib. And he went and he found him. He found him in the dirt. Uh, he had been martyred. And around him was seven mushrikeen dead. And he said, Allahu Akbar, qatala sab'ah, thumma qataloo. Hadha minni wa ana minhu. Hadha minni wa ana minhu. Hadha minni wa ana minhu. He said, Allahu Akbar. He killed seven of the mushrikeen and then they killed him. This man is from me and I am from him. He is from me and I am from him. He is from me and I am from him. And the companions, when they heard this, they rushed to pick up Julaibib. The messenger said, don't touch him. Don't touch him. The messenger went himself and picked him up with his own hands. And he began to hug him. You know, he was so small. And he began to cry. He cried so much. He began to wipe the dirt off the face of Julaibib. And then he went and he laid him down and the messenger himself dug the grave. All of the companions are watching. Let us hope, Ya Rasulullah, he's from me, my family. You leave him to me. And the messenger dug the grave himself and placed him in the ground himself with his blessed hands and made a beautiful dua for Julaibib, telling him now you can be married to the most beautiful women in Jannah. 
and he gave his belongings to uh, the companions that go and give this to his wife now as her inheritance. Subhanallah. This is through these actions, my brothers of the Messenger, uh, and his good treatment towards uh, all of the companions. He made the society love one another for the sake of Allah. They loved one another for the sake of Allah. And they were ready to fight and die for one another because the Prophet ﷺ joined their hearts. Joined their hearts together as if they were one body. Uh, again, just another companion that I want to mention a quick story about. And this companion is Ubadah uh, ibn Samad. And again, he was, uh, he was uh, described as being a very dark man, a black man. And he was uh, part of the army uh, that was dealing with the Romans and the Persians uh, under the leadership of Umar ibn Khattab. So now this is after the time of the Messenger. And we know that one of the leaders of the army was Amr ibn al-As. Amr ibn al-As. And when they laid siege on Cairo, uh, this city, the leader of Cairo, uh, Al-Muqawqis, he wanted to uh, speak to one of the Muslims. So he said to them, send me one of your delegates. Send me one of your leaders to come and speak with me. So Amr ibn al-As, he sent Ubadah. And when he entered into the tent of Al-Muqawqis, and Al-Muqawqis seen him, he said, Who is this black man? Take this black man away from me and bring me someone else to speak to. Subhanallah. Racism all across the globe. Only Islam and the Muslims had taken care of this. This was rampant all across the globe. They used them as slaves. And he's saying, now a slave is coming to talk to me, the leader of this town, the leader of, the, of my people. Take this black man away from me and bring me someone else. The companions that were with Ubadah, uh, they said, but he's the best amongst us. He is the best. Who else do you want me to bring? Who else do you want us to bring? He is the best in status, in knowledge, and he is the most wise. And the Maqawqis, he said, how can, this, how can this be? How can you accept this man to be the best amongst you? Rather, he should be the least. He should be the lowest amongst you. So now the Sahaba are teaching Al-Muqawqis about the mentality and how one should think. They said, no, verily, he is the best amongst us and the color of people's skin does not matter to us. The Prophet ﷺ taught us that the color of people's skin does not matter to us. He said to Ubaid, in that case, come forward, O black man. This is how he addressed him. Come forward, O black man, and speak gently to me, because your blackness alarms me. You're black. I'm scared of your blackness. And if you speak harshly to me, I'm going to deal with you. So speak gently. Ubadah began uh, to speak. And when he began to speak, the knowledge and the honor and the wisdom started to come out. And he began to call him to Islam. And he began to tell him why we have been sent uh, with this message, why we have been sent and what we are doing with this message of Islam. When Al-Muqawqis heard this message, he said, I was alarmed due to the color of your skin, but now I am more alarmed due to the words that you have spoken. I was alarmed because of the color of your skin, but now I'm starting to realize that that doesn't really matter. What you're saying, it scares me very much. He said to his people, that Allah has sent these people to take over the world 
and by Allah they are bound to prevail. With men like this in their ranks, they are bound to prevail. Subhanallah. Look at this amazing example. My brothers and sisters in Islam, going back to the example of the Prophet one of the biggest arguments that Quraysh used in order to stop people from following his message is to point out uh, that his message only attracts the weak slaves. One of the biggest arguments they used in the society when they were talking to the tribes people is that Muhammad don't worry about him, don't follow him because the only people that he attracts to his message are the weak, the destitute, the ones that don't have any tribe, don't have any... Oh, look at the people that are around him. And so... Uh, uh, they would always use that as, as a point and as an argument that his message attracts the lowest. In their mind, the scum of society. And who are the people that they, who are these people that they were referring to? Abdullah bin Mas'ud, a dark man, Ayman ibn Ubaid, Zayd bin Hayrat, Usama bin Zayd, Ammar bin Yasir, all dark-skin-colored uh, dark, uh, uh, companions. These were the companions of the Prophet from the early days. Khabbab ibn al-Arat, Bilal ibn Rabah, Ali ibn Abi Talib, Anas bin Malik, kids. They would say that his message attracts the kids and the, the weak and the slaves. Kids, nine, six years old. Anas bin Malik, Ali ibn Abi Talib, Suhaib al-Rumi, huh? a foreigner, a, a refugee, Salman al-Faris. What would he say about Salman al-Faris? Salman is from us. Salman is from us, from our, from my household, from my family. Salman, from Persia. So the Prophet he would gather these companions and he would use them for the message of Islam. Because the power, the power of this message is not in the color of the skin. It is not in the power of the tribe. It is not in the lineage. It is in the message itself. So no matter who is carrying it, the message, the power is in the message itself. That's why we say, my brothers, when we carry the message of Islam, don't carry it in a way where you think you're doing something smart. Don't worry about who's carrying the message and what level he is in his knowledge or in his ranks among the people. But listen to what he is saying and sp spread the message of Islam the way it was sent to us. Don't try to hide things and water things down trying to be smart. Give the message as, as it is because the power of the message of Islam is in the message itself, not in the way that you carry it. Of course, we have to be wise and smart about how we propagate the Dawit, but we cannot water down the ideas and the concepts of Islam. To Quraysh, these people were a laughing stock. These people were a laughing stock. That with these people, you're not going to achieve anything. But it was these very people that the messenger was able to spread the message of Islam with. And today we are proud to say that they are the best men and women who ever walked the face of the earth. They are the best men and women who ever walked the face of the earth after the prophets. Because of their taqwa, because of their piety and because of their sacrifice for Islam. So know my brothers and sisters in Islam that when we look around the world and we see racism and discrimination taking place uh, even in our own communities even in our own communities we see some of this taking place you know it's unfortunate that we see some of this taking place you know, we have uh, in every country that you go to you have like uh, the Lebanese Association and the Turkish Association and the Indonesian Association and the 
Pakistani Association, and the Bengali Association, and the Syrian Association, and the Palestinian Association. We have every association of every single nationality. And inshallah ta'ala, uh, this is only a result of the circumstances that we are living in. It is due to the absence of that system of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And so uh, that's what we need to work towards. And that's where we need to pay all of our attention in order to unite the hearts once again under one flag, under one leadership, under one brotherhood. The brotherhood of La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, Akulu ma tasma'oon, wa astaghfirullah li wa lakum, fastaghfiruhu innahu huwa al-ghafoor ar-rahim. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.